May 3rd, the year 3030. Trudy was right. We feasted, and we drank, and we sang, and danced, until it felt like we were swaying dead in our shoes last night. We were heralded as heroes and made to stand so we could be toasted over and over again. There were speeches, loud and exuberant in our honor, becoming less coherent as the night went on. My ears are ringing today in the silence under the billowy white covers. Next time, less dancing. I can hear Lars say from somewhere outside of my white cocoon. My calves are on fire. I laugh into the softness, making the sheets warm against my teeth. You loved it, I answer him. He doesn't disagree, mumbles something that sounds a lot like, and you, which makes me smile. The others are leaving today. There are things and places that are tearing my heart apart, because I will never see them again. But Lars said, they might be able to have someone from the Constitute ride Moon north and across the border into Kanda. He says the ride is less than a week, if you know what you're doing. But there's no guarantee. This no guarantee makes me heartsick. Stalford will become somewhere I once lived. But my stepmother is dead, and though I will miss everyone that lives there, I'm not sure I could bear to lie to them about everything, about the world that exists outside Stalford, every time we spoke. A truth that big seems impossible to me, and I'm not sure I would be able to keep it. It's better if I stay away. After a few more minutes, I can hear Lars get up and start moving around in the little kitchen area. The smell of coffee finds me beneath the thick bedsheets and I unroll myself, a butterfly fleeing its cocoon. I pad across the large hotel room, my feet cold against the hard wood floor. Clancy and Aileen are next door, with Stella in the room opposite of ours. We were treated to luxury suites after last night's party. Thank you. I take the mug and let the steam fill my nostrils as I inhale. Let's go watch the news, Lars suggests. I grin a wide smile. Kanda has radio motion devices, one of the few countries left in the world that does. We learned about them at the Constitute, but there is still something magical in watching Lars walk over to the round device, shaped like a giant mirror, and hitting a button on top. It buzzes for a moment, and then five men in black outfits appear, standing in a half-circle, each reporting on a story of the day. Why are they standing like that? I ask Lars. This wasn't covered in our class. But Lars just shrugs, says something to the effect that people like watching the news like this. The importance of the story grows, so whoever is most popular right now gets to tell the biggest, most important story of the day. He explains. It seems like a strange way of getting your point across, but I nod like this makes sense. There are stories about a restaurant catching on fire and a woman trying to work in a factory by dressing as a man after her husband died. The men in black all find this incredibly funny, and mime wearing skirts and working around them, large and frilly in their impersonations, 
at a conveyor belt like the one they show in the pictures of the factory where it happened. Finally, they get to the last of the five men, and everyone quiets down. This is serious. This is the big story of the morning. Today we report here from the capital of Montrali, where we have learned that a new form of energy named Pinkdom has been reportedly brought to our country, while negotiations between the South and North Pacific nations begin to figure out what to do with it. At this point, a map of the countries is shown, and I want them to go on, to say something I didn't already know, but there's nothing new. Why aren't they saying more? What, about Blake? Lars almost laughs. Harper, we act in the shadows, that's the whole point. Oh, look, they're showing them shaking hands, so maybe the negotiations are going well. I don't say anything and watch as two old men grimly exchange a handshake. They don't look excited about meeting, if you ask me. Lars looks out the window. We need to get going soon. Then he looks at me with stern finality in his voice. You're sure? Once you do this, there's no coming back. I smile faintly. I can't go back. Not after seeing all of this. I wave around the room, cleaner than any in the UCOA, and towards the window, where vans are driving up and down paved streets. I can't lie to everyone I see for the rest of my life. All right, then. Lars gently rubs my back. One lie down, and then no more. Let's do this. Lars has explained to me that if anyone from the Constitute caught wind that I was jumping ship and staying behind, let alone heading to live in Europa, everyone would want to do it. The only way, he says, is to pretend that I've died. It shouldn't be too hard, he explains. After being cut in a fight for my life and exposed to the elements for as long as I was, it would seem possible that there was an unexpected complication upon my return. We were at lunch and you passed out. I brought you to the hospital, but it was already too late. Blood valve infection from the cut on your hand. You had a heart attack and died. There was nothing they could do. Lars said when he explained it to me. It sounded so simple. But now, as I am packing my bag, the thought of letting everyone think I am dead twists my gut into knots. There isn't much to pack especially now that I've lost my new clothes. I fold and stow my only other change of clothes in the bag, and then I notice one of our green ribbons at the bottom of it, dirty and wrinkled. Whenever Clancy or I took in an extra hard-won captive in our splatter gun games, we tie a bow around their wrists. It was our way of saying, I won this one, and I really deserved it, too. This one... They're being brought in with a friggin' bow on top. It would make us laugh and infuriate the other teams. I grin at the memory. I look down at the ribbon sticking out from my shirt and pull it out of the bag. It feels like something from another life in between my fingers. I smell it, but it doesn't smell strange or foreign in any way. My eyes dart around the room but there's no reason for him to come in here after I've died. Lars is still in the shower. Quickly, I walk into the hallway, 
and I tie the ribbon into a bow around Clancy and Aileen's doorknob. Clancy will know what it means, that I am not actually dead, but that I really deserve this one. He owes me his life, so I know he won't say anything of my new one. I slip back into the room and tell Lars I'm ready to go. As we head down the stairs, meant only for emergencies, Lars hands me my identification papers with a name that isn't my own. I rented an apartment in Montrali so that you can get adjusted before we head back to Minga. Lars says as he holds the door open for me and we walk out into the empty lot behind the hotel. Thank you. I say and realize only now how much my life is about to change. No more outhouses. No more gospel. No more adventures in Stalford. But those are already past, I remind myself. They were past the moment you set foot on Constitute Ground. Don't worry, Lars says to me, misinterpreting my worried look for insecurity. You'll do great. We're lucky to have someone like you join the Europa Agency. At this, I nod and smile. I am excited, but it's a lot to give up a life. Even if it was a life lived in the strange, fragmented way mine has turned out. But I know what I want. I want to be there when they finally figure out what to do with the pinkdom. Because when they do, I need to do everything I can to make sure that it is shared equally among everyone. And I mean everyone. With one last glance, I turn back to peer up at the tall building of the hotel, white and looming above us. They're probably waking after a long night of drinking, gums rough, eyes bleary. But then I rush to grab Lars's hand, and we turn onto the main street where we are about to have lunch around the corner, and where I am to die at a hospital ten minutes away. And without looking back again, I leave Harper Rose behind. <laughs>